0: And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wiggles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. Brett, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, baby. We we did it. <laughs> Game week! <laughs> did you have that planned? <laughs> Let's go. That's actually awesome. Um, <laughs> but, I, dude, I can't believe we're finally here. It has been... It, the season the off season has gone by fast in some ways but in other ways it's gone by super slow and i think for me when i was uncertain if the season was even gonna happen uh it was going by super fast like the days were just rolling on but as soon as we hit that point where i started getting confident probably the last month or so three weeks or so it's come to a screeching halt and it seems like these three weeks have taken forever. So we're finally here. It's game week. We still got what, you know, four days left before the game, but Depending uh, on
1: when people are listening to this. Yeah, there's that. Uh, we'll, we'll see, but it's, uh, it is finally here. We are, we are about to do the dang thing.
0: You know, what else is finally here? A depth chart, a depth chart. You're absolutely right. Uh, I got to be honest with you, I'll and I could be wrong, I, I haven't really kept up with the timeline of when Alabama's released stuff, but I I, I was looking for an Auburn depth chart uh, last night, and I, and I had not seen anything Actually, that had been released yet. We They
1: just released it. We're recording. It is 11.07 a.m. on Tuesday morning uh, as I'm speaking, and Auburn just released it.
0: Okay. So that's something I'm definitely going to want to go check out as soon as we're done with the podcast, just keeping up with the other side. But uh the fact that Alabama released it yesterday, I was, I I guess I shouldn't be too surprised, but I was excited, but there is so much to dive into. And, you know, are we going to probably read into stuff too much with some of this? We'll try not to, uh, but it's just, it's kind of hard not to with the way things shook out. Uh, But what I suggest that we do, and we're not going to spend just a ridiculous amount of time doing this. We'll try to be as efficient as possible, but we're just going to go through position by position. And just talk about thoughts that we had on the depth chart,, uh, some of the ore stuff maybe that was thrown in there, and then uh, kind of move on. you know, like I said, we won't spend you know ten minutes per position or anything like that, but you know, just spend a couple of minutes. So I'll kind of just start working my way down the list if you are ready. i'm I'm ready when you are. and like you
1: said, some of this is just gonna be crowning. like like we can go ahead and dive into into quarterback. you, you and I have been pretty pretty clear about our belief that Mac Jones is going to be the starter whether whether it's because Mac is clearly Alabama's best option or if it's because Bryce Young didn't have the traditional offseason that may have given him a chance to win the starting job Uh, individuals can come to their their own conclusions on that but that's one where I don't think anyone was was surprised by that that seemed like a Uh, a given crowning to to make Mac Jones your QB one going into the season opener at Missouri?
0: Well, I'll say this there, there was an or next to Bryce Young's name, but it was not the or that we were all, you know, (laughs) excuse me, not we were all expecting, but a lot of people were expecting. It was an or between Bryce Young and Paul Tyson. And we all know that Bryce Young is the, the number two. Uh, I think this was more of a nod to Paul Tyson and the kind of development that he's made. Uh, I've heard good things about him, and so they didn't want to just stick him down there, being the older guy, even though it's just a year, as the the obvious number three. But Bryce Young was listed in that two spot, in my opinion, for a reason. So take that how you will. Mac Jones is the unquestioned starter for Missouri. Uh, does that mean that we won't see Young at all? No, not necessarily. We'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. Uh, but moving on, let's you know you uh, we'll, we'll we'll go to the running backs next because I did that was another one that had some interesting stuff involved. Najee Harris, the unquestioned number one, everybody knew that was going to happen. But some people might have been surprised to see Brian Robinson Jr. not only listed as the second guy on the death chart, but there was no or between Brian Robinson Jr. and Trey Sanders. The ores came after that. So right now it would seem that Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams both are, I wouldn't say on even status as Trey Sanders, but according to the depth chart, that's the way it would seem. Uh, and and Jace McClellan is a guy who is listed ahead of Roydell Williams, even though we've heard really good things about Roydell. Keelan Robinson and Kyle Edwards were not included. What were your thoughts on the running backs? Uh,
1: the Brian Robinson Jr. haters got to sit down for a minute. Um,
0: so that's fun. I, I enjoy new, that. New number, new Brian Robinson, right? Switching yeah, from 24 yeah. to 4. Yeah. Four looks good on him. I like it. It does. Um, Yeah. I,
1: I, a little bit, I, I, even, even as someone who has a higher opinion of of Brian Robinson Jr. than what I'm gathering the average fan does, I was a little surprised that uh, there wasn't an or between him and Trey Sanders. I I really thought Trey would, would have an off season or or have a preseason worthy of, of that distinction. And it's, it's a week one depth chart. It's, it's entirely possible that by the midway point of, of the season, Trey Sanders is getting more carries than Brian Robinson Jr. is. And, and that settles that that's entirely possible. Um, but at the start right now, I don't know that anything other than that surprised me. I, I thought that, Roy Dell Williams and and Jason McClellan would be the two freshmen that factored into the playing time equation over Kyle Lebwards. So if if when if and when Alabama has a forty point lead on somebody late in the third or early in the fourth, and you start getting some of those guys in, they'll definitely be the ones that that get those carries. Kyle Lebwards is probably on his way to a, a red shirt year, which is perfectly fine. That's kind of that's okay. I guess it's the, the way to put it. But I, I, I am, I think the main battle in the running back group that will last into the season is between Brian Robinson Jr. and Trey Sanders. Um, I, I think both of them are ahead of Roy Dale Williams and, and Jace McClellan to, from what we've heard in preseason practice. But how exactly the carries are going to be split between the two of them is something I, I don't have a good. Grasp for yet the depth chart suggests one thing, but the the usage through the season could suggest
0: another. Absolutely, and and this part of this could be. You know, Brian Robinson's a senior. He decided to come back when a lot of people thought that he might transfer with the stable of running backs they were bringing in. Plus, you got Trey Sanders coming back. Plus, you had the, you know, at least going in or going throughout the offseason, you had the Keelan Robinson thing Mm -hmm. as far as some of the potential that he showed as a true freshman. A lot of people thought that it would be very logical once Najee Harris chose to to come back that Brian Robinson Jr. would leave. And the fact that he did decide to return and give Alabama even more depth at that position – and a guy that's been in the program now, going into his fourth year, this might have kind of been a nod to him. I wouldn't surprise at all that he was listed as the number two, but I agree with you; it was the O.R. factor between him and, and Trey Sanders. And does that necessarily mean, oh man, he's the clear-cut number two guy? Not necessarily. Uh, it could have just been simply, you know, kind of giving Brian Robinson some, Brian Robinson some respect. And then, you know, you might see uh, just as much Trey Sanders involved and maybe even a little bit more. We'll kind of just have to see, like with all these positions, how it plays out. Uh, moving on to receiver, though, what were your initial thoughts on that group?
1: The John Mechie era begins. He's, it, it, it has he, begun. Uh, yeah, we, we knew that Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle were going to be the one and two receivers. We were pretty sure that um, – that John Mechie III was going to be that third receiver. He is. We were pretty sure that Slade Bolden was going to be that fourth receiver. And it seems like he is because in, in general, when, when Alabama goes four wide receivers, they typically have two H's on, on the field. And, um, Slade Bolden was the second H behind Waddle. Um, so that, that, that more or less went with what we thought it was. Now, the, the pecking order with the freshmen behind that remains to be determined because Javon Baker is, is up there. There's also Xavier Williams, who's what a redshirt sophomore? Is that right?
0: Yes, I believe so. Okay,
1: um, I, I'm pulling it up here just to double check. Yes, yes, redshirt sophomore. There's also freshman Tyu Jones Bell and and Sean Holden. So. The wide receiver position more or less went the way we thought it it would. Uh, we we do need to make sure that when Bama goes four wideouts, that Slade Bolden is that fourth, but we're we're pretty sure that's the case. And then um, who is that fifth wide receiver? Is it Javon Baker or is it Xavier Williams or Tyu Jones Bell? Uh, or, or Now that I look at it, there are oars with Javon Baker and Trayshawn Holden, and with Xavier Williams and Tyu Jones Bell. So. Presumably all four of them are on equal footing, at least they are um, in this in this depth chart. So the the battle for fifth wide receiver remains open if we're taking this depth chart as gospel. Yeah,
0: and, and I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, really the only thing that I would add is I completely agree. When you go four wide receivers, it looks like it's going to be Slade Bolden for the reason that you mentioned as far as having the two slot guys, the two H's. Um, Slade Bolden is that number two guy. You might see, uh, in fact, you'll probably see some of those situations where they go what would be considered four wide, but that other inside slot receiver is a big slot and like a Miller Forrest all. They're splitting him out wide a little bit to maybe even uh, g- get a bigger body out there at the position uh, in certain situations. But yes, Slade Bolden, in my opinion, should be considered the the wide receiver four. And I think, you know, Alabama only has eight receivers, uh, really scholarship receivers on the roster. And and for three spots, they're not even necessarily three deep at at every single position. That's a position that I really like where they're at. You have one of the best wide receiver combinations in the country in Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. You have a guy who everybody's expecting to have a breakout season. And John Mechie. we got to see some glimpses of him back during the 8A game during his true freshman season last year. So they, they you know, presumably are going to have a really good trio of receivers. You've got Slade Bolton providing that fourth option. I think he's going to be a pretty re- reliable choice. We had heard good things about him last year. It's just they were so loaded at the position, there was not a way for him to get any sort of significant action. He did get some, some action. It just wasn't a lot of it. But then if Javon Baker can step up and become that wide receiver five, a guy that can see some spot reps in certain situations. And then, if there's any sort of injury, him step uh, step up into that number four role, and because the number four role has proven to be very valuable. Now, granted, you had Jalen Waddle in that role last year, so obviously they were going to continue to keep it, you know, heavily involved. Will Slade Bolden get that same kind of usage? Probably not. But at the same time, it's still a valuable position in today's college football. So. You know, be, having a guy like Javon Baker be able to step up and, and provide some depth if he has to at the four spot or whatever will be uh, will be solid. And you'll probably see some of those other guys. I doubt that any of these players take a red shirt. Maybe Treshawn Holden, but then you're rocking seven deep, essentially. Um, and, and I guess with that four-game uh, rule, uh, as far as being able to re- retain your red shirt, that might provide one of these guys with Jones, Bell, or Holden, uh, with the opportunity to play in four games and provide depth in four games, but maybe not uh, maybe still be able to get the red shirt. But mm-hmm. then you also got that huge group coming in uh, in the twenty twenty one class. You know, you're losing Devonte Smith. You're probably going to lose Jalen Waddle. You need to replenish a lot of that depth and Alabama. Certainly do that. Uh, they're doing that. So. They're set up for the immediate success, but then they're also building for long term. And next year, you know, with Slade Bolden and John Mechie, and if you can get J- uh, Javon Baker some, some action, then you'll be set up as far as experience and bringing in a ton of talent at the wide receiver position as well.
1: I actually so – two more thoughts on wide receivers before we go. One, I, I think you might actually get a red shirt or two. Out of, out of wide receivers this year, if they stay healthy. And, and that's the, the key thing. So your your first wave of, of three is Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, and John Matthew III. Your second wave of three could be Slade Bolden, Javon Baker, and Xavier Williams, which would, if you're able to stay healthy and you can use those three guys with a tight end and a running back or possibly just two of them, with two tight ends and a running back since remember Alabama has a thousand scholarship tight ends on its roster right now you could very well get away with Tyu Jones-Bell and Sean Holden only playing four games this year again if you stay healthy because if, right. if you don't stay healthy then as you mentioned the the scholarship numbers at, at wide receiver are probably just a little thinner than they want them to be so you're you're kind of forced to play a Tyu Jones-Bell or a Treshawn Holden late in a game that you would rather not for, for redshirt purposes. But I, I think it's possible you could get as many as two redshirts oh. at the wide receiver position. And before we transition to tight end, because um, the the two kind of uh, coalesce with one another, I don't think it's going to happen because Miller Forsall and his place on the depth chart which we're going to get to in a second but to your point about big slots that that could afford some of these guys some some playing time do you think Javon Baker and Treshawn Holden could could fit that mold Javon Baker at 6'2 195 and Treshawn at 6'3 208
0: oh absolutely uh I mean granted I guess it's it's more of what you're looking for in your big slot And, and in the past you would use tight ends in those situations more in red zone opportunities. Um, now with – and a big reason for that was Alabama had such a focus on kind of recruiting smaller players at the position that were really crafty route runners and cre- and could create separation through their route running. They still have guys – I mean, even with John Mechie, he's a guy where he's going to be able to create through uh, his route running and things like that. So it's like a guy like uh, Tyrell Shavers. He was a big body guy. They used him as a big slot in fall practice last year. I was able to get my eyes on it during fan day, had him running up the seams, attacking the seams. I loved that concept and that idea. They never got around really to using it during the season because of what they were actually looking for at the position, at least in my opinion, you got an extremely accurate Tua a tongue of aloha when you combine that with a, a dominant group of route runners. Uh, I mean I, you could pretty much throw it will on anybody. And so with Mac Jones and what he brings to the table, he's not as accurate as Tua who is uh, there's not many but um, I completely agree with you there. And when you're talking about that red shirt rule, uh, you know you can have seven deep. At the position at the wide receiver position, with getting Jones Bell and Holden each four games apiece, and even if you play the maximum number of games this season, let's say there's an SEC championship, two playoff games, you're only playing thirteen games, so that's only five games where you would only be able to go six deep. Um, so that's yeah, you make a great point. What I worry about is the late game stuff. Um and what helps with that is that you're playing an all-SEC schedule, so you're not playing the Citadel and you're up 65 and nothing in the third quarter, and you got to start working some of these depth guys in. You know that there, you won't have those situations more than likely, so there's going to be very few games where you're in a position to get your young guys a ton of reps. Um, but at the same time, it would be special teams and how they plan on using some of those guys on special teams, and it would be you know things like that that could end up affecting the red shirt. Uh, eligibility that they may have but moving on to tight end miller forestall the, n- the clear-cut number one guy then after that it is you see the word or a lot on the depth chart following major tennyson or carl tucker or jaleel billingsley or cameron latou give me your thoughts on uh, how that thing shook out
1: were you surprised that, that carl tucker wasn't your clear number
0: two I was. Yes. Uh, and part of me, the the way that I viewed it when I saw it, because that was one of my initial reactions as I I was immediately going through it. Um, I made the crucial mistake of cutting off the oars on the right side as I was trying to see it better. And so I, I even posted it without the oars and that ended up being a huge mistake on my part. So my uh, original reaction was, man, Carl Tucker sitting down there at number three, you see the oar. And as you see that and you realize that that's a thing, I think it's very possible that you've got Major Tennyson heading into what his fourth uh, or maybe fifth year in Tuscaloosa. He's been Direction committed to you his fourth year, yeah, so he's going into his fourth year uh, been committed to your program, um you know has seen playing Tom. you got a guy like Carl Tucker who comes in, wasn't able to get on campus really during the summer because of Covid. to to automatically throw him as the number two guy on the depth chart might be disrespectful to, to major Tennyson and Nick Saban, in my opinion, and this has never really been confirmed just with decisions he's made in the past and how he lists the depth chart. I think it was probably more of a nod to, you know, major Tennyson as far as the depth chart is concerned, but I wouldn't be surprised if Carl Tucker still saw tied in two reps. You know, he was, he still was the the first guy off the bench. Now you're still going to see major Tennyson too. Don't get me wrong but I wouldn't be surprised. And and that's no guarantee. That's purely speculative on my part. Uh, But that's kind of where I viewed it. Were you surprised by it? I was at at
1: the very beginning, but then I thought back to it and I kind of remembered that Miller forestall was a solid every down tight end last year. He wasn't, he was inconsistent as, as a run blocker. I think that would be fair to say, um, but he was by far their best receiving threat until that throat injury kept him out for most of the second half of the season. And it's not an accident that as soon as he came back for the Citrus Bowl, he scored a receiving touchdown. That surely wasn't an accident that as soon as Miller-Forrestal comes back, they decide to throw to their tight ends in, in touchdown range anymore. Right. Um, I I do wonder this, though. If if Major Tennyson, Carl Tucker, Jalil Billingsley, and Cameron Latou are all on equal – uh, footing I wonder if this means Alabama is going to use more two tight end sets this year than it did last year because if, if you're taking Miller Forrestal as kind of your uh, well-rounded tight end while taking into consideration that last year he was inconsistent as a run blocker he's probably your most well-rounded threat as a tight end excluding Carl Tucker since we 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 Think we know what he was at North Carolina, but we don't know how it's going to go here yet. Major Tennyson clearly a block first kind of guy. Carl Tucker projects to be useful in in both um, disciplines, but we'll we'll see. Jalil Billingsley I think is useful in both disciplines, but he's young. He could he could use some more experience. And Cameron Latou, we don't know much about him as a as a tight end yet. It just There are a lot of skill sets, a lot of possibilities with your tight ends underneath Miller-Forestall. So I could kind of envision a system where Alabama has Miller-Forestall on the field almost all the time and then has a second tight end on the field when they want to to accomplish certain things. They could have Carl Tucker on as a big slot. They could have Major Tennyson on for some extra run-blocking beef. They could have Jalil Billingsley on to possibly provide both in certain situations to help him get some some experience. That, that was just one possible outcome. And, and it would make sense in this year where you had two proven wide receivers. Now, they, they clearly think highly of John Mechie and Slade Bolden and, and et cetera, but it's not like last year where putting two tight ends on the field was clearly at the detriment to your to your wide receiver position. It's a little different scenario this year.
0: Right. And I think you raise a great point there and and something about Carl Tucker going back to his time at North Carolina that I absolutely loved about him and I loved what he was going to bring to Alabama's offense is his ability as a blocker, not only as an inline blocker, but as a perimeter blocker as well. North Carolina would line him up in that big slot role. They'd line him up as an outside receiver, and he was such a dominant blocker on the perimeter that you can run, you know, screens, whether it be running back screens, wide receiver screens, jailbreak types of things, and he's going to be able to get out on the guy. That you know is trying to cover him and completely maul him. Uh, that was one of my favorite aspects of watching his film. And when you have that ability, you can get the ball in your playmaker's hands like a uh, Jalen Waddle. Or like a Najee Harris in the open field throwing in the football in some sort of flare out or screen or something like that. And when you got a big guy like Carl Tucker in front of him afterwards who is comfortable blocking in space because it's much different, an inline guy, you're you know, you're kinda in the mix, you essentially become an extra offensive lineman. You know, you're in the trenches, digging guys out, trying to move big body players but it's a much different skill set to be able to block on the perimeter or in space against athletic corners who can, you know, get around some of these big offensive linemen sometimes or whatever on on pulls and things like that. So that's what I love about bringing Carl Tucker into the mix. That's something that they didn't have last year. He'll be able to to provide some inline blocking ability, but you can also move him around. And, you know, a lot of people were predicting a Jaleel Billingsley breakout this year. And, and unfortunately, you know, Miller Forrestal is going to be gone. Carl Tucker is going to be gone after this year. Granted that depends of course on if they choose to want to come back due to the extra eligibility, but Jaleel Billingsley might have to wait. You know, he'll, he'll get some game action. Don't get me wrong, but at this point in time, I would say he's the tight end four, uh, and and he's listed as such. But I think that that's probably legitimate. And and so you know, this idea of, of him getting a breakout season might have to wait until 2021. Still love him long term, um, but I, there are a ton of bodies at the tight end position. Uh, Michael you Parker. Don't
1: say.
0: Yeah, Michael Parker didn't even make it onto the depth chart but uh, there, there's talent there and there's a lot of different things that they can use these guys for in certain situations. And that's why I think you'll see a lot of these guys on game day. Uh, but do you have any more thoughts on the tight ends?
1: No, let's, let's go to the offensive line. Cause this was probably one of the positions that stuck out to me most was I, I was really hoping to learn who the fifth offensive lineman would be. Um, and we didn't, we, <laughs> we, we straight up didn't, we know, Evan Neal's going to start at right tackle. We know Deontay Brown's going to start at guard. We know Alex Leatherwood's going to start at, at left tackle, and center could either be Chris Owens or Landon Dickerson. And right guard could either be Emilekei or Jr. or Landon Dickerson. Uh, the the death chart doesn't have Landon Dickerson at right guard. It just has Emilekei or Jr. there with Chris Owens or Landon Dickerson at, at center, but realistically Landon Dickerson is going to be part of the starting five. So if they if they decide to have Chris Owens as the center, they'll just put Landon Dickerson at, at right guard.
0: Um, well, for me, and that's an interesting point, um, I noticed that too. And the number one thing that stood out in my mind, and this is why I say you know, we might be reading too much into some of this stuff. I went ahead and, and said that at the beginning of the podcast because this is one of those areas where I might be reading too much into it. But the fact that I didn't see, you know, we saw Chris Owens listed in multiple spots. He was listed as an or at center. He's also listed as the backup left tackle. He has experience there playing behind Alex Otherwood. So that wasn't a a huge surprise. But the fact that they went with Chris Owens, giving him two spots in the depth chart, and they didn't do it with Landon Dickerson at right guard, uh, it could have easily been Emil Ikior Jr. or Landon Dickerson, just to give that nod saying that he's going to be playing, potentially be playing both spots. I'm not saying that this is completely locked in, in stone here, but I also f- am feeling fairly confident that Emil Ikior Jr. is going to be the starter against Missouri at right guard. It's going to be Landon Dickerson at center. Now you'll probably see some Chris Owens. You might see Landon Dickerson going back and forth between the two. And w- and in that first game, they might try to play it out that way and say, okay, you know, Chris Owens and Emil Ikior, both guys have been pretty promising uh, options at their two spots we'll mix and match and see what's what works the best but for me like I said I, I think maybe I was I might be reading a little too much into it uh, the fact that Landon Dickerson wasn't listed at right guard but someone that was listed at right guard and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because when I look at him it's the same thing and Alex Leatherwood survived for a season at right guard despite the fact that from a bodybuild standpoint from a natural athleticism uh standpoint, he was never meant to be, you know, a long-term guard. He was there because you had Jonah Williams at left tackle, and Alex Leatherwood just was the fifth-best offensive lineman, and Judge Wills clearly did not want to play uh, guard. He wanted to play tackle, and they, they gave him that ability, and good for them because it worked out. Um, but Amari Kite being listed as a right guard to me, 6'7", I want to say he's like somewhere between 3'10 and 3'20", kind of a lean body build uh, just do not see offensive guard with him at all. Really don't even see right tackle. I could see him them putting him at left tackle. They've done it with – or excuse me, at right tackle. I've seen them do that with guys in the past, but I see a left tackle body build uh, with him. And and the fact that he wasn't listed at right or left tackle strictly at guard, this is another thing where I say, you know, why? You know, what's the point? You already have two deep uh, with Pierce Quick. Uh, you could have listed Amari as the third team um, – you know, left tackle. You could have listed him. You know, Javion Cohen was a guy originally who I thought would be a pretty good left tackle prospect uh, from an athletic standpoint, developmental guy. But uh, thought maybe long term left tackle would be an option for him. But they have him listed at right tackle. He's got had a pretty significant weight gain since getting to Alabama, and he might be a future right tackle. But with Amari Kite, I, I and I was trying to think what makes sense, and I could be way off in left field here. I don't know. Uh, Well,
1: I I will say that some of this is just due to cross training for this strange season, right? Like Chris Owens said earlier in preseason practice, he's never seen offensive linemen training at multiple positions at at this clip before, which makes a lot of sense. You're kind of safeguarding yourself from from quarantines and, and contact tracing absences as well as you possibly can so that you can maintain practice on your offensive line if you get hit by. Um, the virus, or, or potentially play a game and play play it well, if you're impacted um, from a availability standpoint by the by the virus. Um, so there's there's that, but this also might just be how it goes. Like Evan Neal had to play a season at guard before going out to his natural tackle. You mentioned that Alex Leatherwood is uh, did the same thing. Maybe Tommy Brown, Pierce Quick, and Amari Kite are having to do the same thing because they were all guys that were long shots but feasible to be the replacement for, at tackle for, for this year. We now know Evan Neal's going to be that guy. Long shots but feasible. They're, they're probably tackles long term, especially in Amari Kite's case.
0: Amari Kite for sure. And, and Tommy Brown, I think, is a guy who can play – Inside or out, Uh, he saw time at left tackle. I was kind of surprised. I hadn't really heard too much about him playing left guard, so seeing seeing him listed as the backup left guard, you know, from a a talent standpoint and a skill set standpoint, I wasn't overly surprised. But just from what I'd heard. Um, I wasn't really expecting that and Pierce quick, you know, do, giving Amari kite the nod as far as Pierce quick or Amari kite, that might've been, Hey, if we saw him behind Tommy Brown, we're probably not going to give him the, the or label. If we put him behind Chris Owens at tackle, we're not going to give him the or label, but we can essentially give him a nod. Cause maybe he's had a good camp or something and, and putting him behind Pierce quick. You can give him confidently. I, I don't know. I, I'm probably reaching on a lot of this stuff because even it, in my head, I started thinking, well, you know, I wonder if they're looking at Tommy Brockermeyer, You got J.C. Latham. Uh, you got uh, Amarius Mims potentially as a as a another potential option to come in for tackle. What if they're saying, you know, long term Amari Kite might need to be a guard because we've got our tackle stuff locked up. That's possible. Um, I mean, I don't really think that. It's just it was weird uh, when I saw him at right guard. I just feel like historically uh, outside of the Alex Leatherwood thing guard, you know, short squatty, thick guys, you know, Evan Neal's definitely did well at guard. But he's also 360 pounds. So while the length was negated, he had the, the mass to be able to still move people and dig people out. And we'll just kind of have to see if, you know, if that's the long term future for Amari cut or not. Um, but yeah, that was the probably the thing that stood out to me the most. Damian George and Seth McLaughlin, both those guys were not included on the depth chart. Both will probably redshirt this season. Both need development anyways, so that wasn't surprising. But was there the, anything else that stood out Pines to you? The backups
1: on the offensive line that intrigued me most was J.V. and Cohen getting an OR as the second team right tackle alongside Kendall Randolph. Like Kendall Randolph showed some blocking acumen last year in that in that tight end. Role And he's still listed on the roster as a tight end slash offensive lineman. So part of that could be that uh, Kendall Randolph is on the field as a tight end and they want to have a second string um, right tackle for those situations. And, and JV and Cohen is that guy. But I, I took that to, to mean that JV and Cohen had an impressive preseason camp to put himself on even playing on, on a level playing field with Kendall Randolph as a freshman.
0: Well, he was the only true freshman offensive lineman to be included on the death chart. So he's obviously done something right. And I completely agree. Uh, granted, I hope that Alabama doesn't use Kendall Randolph at tight end because they're already loaded at that spot. And if you're playing him, that means you're playing one of those guys that you have already there. Uh, that there's one of those guys that have to be off the field. So hopefully that's not the case, but it, it's with the way they have him listed on the roster. Uh, it, they, it certainly could be possible. And, and Cohen, Sometimes you you see a prospect and you say, okay, I understand why this guy was a a, a lower-rated four-star guy because he has a lot of likable traits, and Cohen certainly did come out of high school, but you see the rawness and the need to develop. And so you expect, okay, long-term, I can see what Alabama you know is looking for in this guy. They think they can get him on campus, develop some of those traits, and make him a more consistent player at the position, and they've got themselves a long-term option at one of these spots. And then sometimes they get on campus and having the right coaching staff in place, having a good offensive line coach that can teach some of these things, guys end up developing way faster than you were anticipating, and that might be the case with Cohen. And if that is the case, that's even more depth along their offensive line because we've already talked about it. They're eight or nine deep in my opinion, with guys who can uh, effectively play football along the offensive line for, for the University of Alabama in 2020. I'm fairly confident in that, uh, that aspect. You know, Pierce Quick, you talked about him maybe being a long-term tackle. The more I've watched him, the more I think maybe he does stick there at guard. But from things that I've heard about him, he is a guy who, if he, came, if he had to come into the game, and there would be several steps that would need to happen before that, Took place, But if it had to happen, I hear the coaching staff likes what he brings to the table and they would not be overly concerned with, you know, by that point, you're looking at your eighth or ninth offensive lineman that you're having to go to. So if he's having to go in the game, you've had some big injury problems or COVID related stuff. But he might be the best 8th or ninth offensive lineman in the entire country because typically when you get to that spot on your depth chart, you're not putting players like Pierce Quick out there. So I think they're absolutely loaded along the offensive line, and it should really excite Alabama fans when you compare the size of this offensive line, the size of the running backs, that Alabama, and the stable at running back, the depth along the offensive line. This run game is going to be set up for success against anybody in the country, in my opinion. And you're also going to have a stable of receivers, to and complementary weapons as far as passing game for a guy like Mac Jones. Mac Jones, if he ends up being the starter of a year, I don't see how he doesn't have a ton of success because he's set up for it. I think we're both pretty confident that Alabama's
1: going to have the best offensive line in in the country for for a lot of reasons, Um, and we're also pretty confident. That Alabama has the best pickle product line in the nation in Wickles Pickles. Go to wicklespickles.com to learn more about all of their products: pickles, relishes, okras, sandwich spread, much more with a little kick of heat. Uh, they're wicked pickles, remember. Uh, that's it's it's nice. Trust me. It's it's nice. Even if you're not a huge spicy person, you're you're gonna appreciate what they what they bring. Go to wicklespickles.com for more on their products, Wickles pickles, let's get wicked. Apparently including a hat that Hunter has yet to witness Alabama lose while while wearing if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So maybe maybe Wickles are, are bringing the tide good luck if you're the superstitious type. Um I, moving on to the defensive line, there were some things in here that interested me like Tim Smith being a second team nose guard alongside Ishmael Sampshire, um, Christian Barmore being listed at defensive end. I- I'm hesitant to read too much into the positional aspect of things because again, they're they're cross training so many guys to kind of protect themselves from possible quarantine or contact tracing absences. Um, that all of these guys are cross training to a to a certain degree. I mean, last year, Federian and Mathis and Raquan Davis were the only ones that could play both end and nose guard in a pinch, and now I'm sure they have five or six guys that they would they would trust to do that if they absolutely had to. What what interested me the most was we knew LeBron Ray was going to be one of your starting defensive ends. The pursuit for the other one seems pretty up in the air. Um so Byron Young and Stefan Wynn Jr. were listed behind LeBron Ray at one defensive end spot. The other defensive end spot has Justin Aboigby or Christian Barmore or Fadarian Mathis. So I, I think we kind of mentioned this on an earlier preseason pro- podcast where it's it's hard to pick a breakout candidate on this year's defensive line because LeBron Ray definitely wouldn't fit that. He's, he's a proven uh, commodity and it's, it's hard to – identify any of these guys as someone who could really rise above the, the rest of the crowd and, and Alabama's depth chart kind of leads credence to that theory.
0: Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with that. And a boy B being listed as the first team guy. Uh, granted he has the or status with christian barmore that's not surprising when i first saw that uh it I, my eyes popped a little bit and then i started thinking like well you know christian barmore has missed some time due to injury and we've heard really good things about Justin Justin you know he, he's really yeah. stepped up and, and and developed at that spot former top 100 prospect tons of talent got action uh a lot of action last year so he's got the experience factor down and he's you know taking that next step. And that's not a guarantee thing. It might be, you know, if, if Christian Barmore had, he stayed healthy throughout the entire offseason, you might be seeing him listed as the number one guy with the, or status with the boy being listed. Number two, you're going to see a healthy dose of both. But I think from a consistency standpoint, this is something that we've talked about. And if Christian Barmore could ever put together doing his job on a consistent basis, but still having this kind of game wrecking impact he would be a top-notch defensive lineman, not only in the SEC, not only in college football, but you know potentially on the next level in the NFL as well. And it's a big reason why a lot of people were projecting him as a late day one, early day two guy, even though he hadn't officially won the starting job yet. And he might not be the starter this year. And if that ends up being the case, what's going to happen is you're going to be able to continue to keep Christian Barmore in a spot that he proved he could be super effective last year. There's no more projecting at that point. Can't he become the consistent factor on a down-to-down basis? Because he doesn't have to. You can put him in situations where he's ready to succeed and contribute, which can really help Alabama give him an entire uh, year, another year, to continue to develop some of those consistency uh, factors. And and maybe, you know, we, he's he's an underclassman. He's not a senior. He can leave after this year. But if he ends up being a backup guy, a rotational player, he'll probably end up coming back and could maybe step into uh, LeBron Ray's role next year. But Tim Smith being uh, the the second-team nose guard, um, I thought that was huge. We all knew he was going to be involved in the rotation. As deep as Alabama is along his defensive line, Tim Smith, five star guy coming out of high school, can play all up and down your defensive front, defensive end, nose guard, whatever you need him to do, he can do it despite being a massive body. We knew he was going to be involved. I was surprised that he was listed as the number two nose guard, thought maybe, you know, um he would be listed as number three guy, but just got a lot of action. When you look at this group, you're looking at Ishmael Sapsher, who is a guy who we've heard of has been taking nice steps towards being able to, to contribute. You've got Fadarian Mathis. Both those two guys are the third players listed at their respective position on the depth chart. You've got Byron Young listed as the number two guy. you got Stephon Wynn Jr., who's also listed, kind of a guy who has seen some action as well. But they are so deep along their defensive line that you got guys like you know Braylon Ingram, Jamarian Latham, Jamil Burrows, all four-star guys who were, weren't even included on the depth chart. Uh, So, so Alabama, as deep as they are on their offensive line, they're every bit as deep along their defensive line. And for a season where you might have players missing because of COVID and depth might be tested more than any other season we've ever seen due to some of those factors, having that sort of depth in the trenches on both sides of the football are one of the big reasons that I feel like Alabama should be one of the premier national championship contenders out there compared to a lot of these other schools. Even a place like Clemson, as fantastic as they are, you know, defensive line, they've got some young contributors, but they're super talented and and fairly deep on their defensive line. The offensive line for Clemson, I think that's an edge that clearly plays in Alabama's favor. If you start getting injuries or you start letting COVID, uh, you know, take effect at at those positions for those two teams – that would give Alabama a clear edge over Clemson. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it happened. Maybe all five of Clemson's starters remain healthy for the entirety of the year, and it the, the depth doesn't play much of a, a factor there, but it can. And so there's a light to love about this defensive line for Alabama.
1: I, I think you hit on the primary takeaway in naming the three guys that weren't on the, the depth chart, Jamil Burrows, Jamirian Latham, and Braylon Ingram, because we know – uh, you're going to have LeBrian Ray, Byron Young, DJ Dale, Justin Aboidby, Christian Barmore, and Fedarian Mathis in your rotation. You know those six guys are going to be in your rotation. They're Bama's probably going to want to have at least one, if not two more guys that are solidly in your rotation. And now we know the candidates for those jobs are Stefan Wynn Jr., Tim Smith, and Ishmael Sopcher. Now we know that based Absolutely. on this depth chart – uh, how many of them earn rotation spots, uh, whether it's one, whether it's none, whether it's two, possibly all three remains to be seen. But, but now we know that those three guys are the leading candidates to possibly carve out one or two uh, additional rotation spots for themselves where we see them on the field somewhat as frequently as you see people like Christian Barmore and Fidarian Mathis on the field. Absolutely. And, now, and, now, do you want to go ahead and take your your victory lap for Christian Harris as a starting inside linebacker alongside Dylan
0: Moses? You know what? I certainly will. Um, <laughs> be, go ahead. This uh, I'll go ahead and say this: uh, the, the will linebacker spot played out exactly how I thought it would. You know, and granted, I guess the only thing that I would have said was, you know, it would be Christian Harris. It would be a Joshua McMillan or Ollie Cahoe, but they would probably list Joshua McMillan with his experience. Uh, in this in the system and with the team ahead of him, the only surprising part of the will spot for me was the or status next to Demoye Kennedy or, or DeMoyer Kennedy. I always put the A at the end. I don't know why Moy Kennedy. That was somewhat surprising. Super talented, borderline five star guy. I think he was a five star according to one of the recruiting services. So uh, that was somewhat surprising. The part that blew me away was the other side with Dylan Moses being the obvious starter at Mike, but then behind him, do you want to talk about how things shook out there? Yeah. Jalen Moody got an or next to Shane Lee. Like
1: did has Jalen Moody become a completely different player than, than what he was last year? Because well, last year I didn't feel like, and I didn't feel like the coaching staff had any doubt that their best options were Shane Lee and Christian Harris. At inside linebacker, and, and Lord knows if they had other comparable options, they probably would have tried them. They kind of did with Ale Kehoe for for a minute in that South Carolina game. Um, And now all of a sudden, Jalen Moody is comparable to Shane Lee.
0: Well, that that part blew me away too. Uh, and Jalen Moody came of, out of nowhere. Well, a lot of people t- are looking at this that I've seen reaction from Alabama fans, and they're saying, "Ooh." Man, this must spell bad news for Shane Lee. And, and and I look at it the exact opposite way. Why does it have to be, ooh, man, uh, Shane Lee just is not it, and the coaching staff is finally realizing it. Why can't it be, wow, you know, that's really good for Jalen Moody. He must have really improved this offseason to essentially hop a guy on the depth chart who was younger than him and had seen a ton of experience. Led, I think he led the team in tackles last year. Maybe it was Xavier McKinney He was number two. But he was up there as far as tackles are concerned. He was the returning sack leader uh, amongst every player uh, on defense. And Jalen Moody hopped him on the depth chart. And when you look back to some of the plays that Jalen Moody has made, you know, in the spring game last year, he had the interception, uh, was not a highly recruited guy at all, you know, two-star prospect. And that's very rare for Alabama to have two-star guys uh, on the roster as far as any other position than maybe kicker or long snapper or punter or something. But for Moody to step up, and, and it's not just that he's listed as an or, he's the first guy listed. He's listed ahead of Shane Lee. Uh, and so that was extremely eye-opening for me. And if he really has stepped up and, and kind of forced his way into being good enough to be listed as the number two option at the Mike spot, and you now have Shane Lee and Ali Keho as your number three options at the Mike and Will spot – that and plus you got Jackson Bratton, who's not even listed on the depth chart, but he's an option, a tackling machine. Probably will play that Mike spot. You got Des Moy Kennedy uh, as the number four options at those two spots. Two extremely talented true freshmen, especially Kennedy. The, I mean, this is why I listed, you know, the off-ball inside linebacker position as my deepest position on the roster. We've talked about the depth on the along the defensive line and offensive lines, running back there, extremely deep. But with inside linebacker, when you've got guys like Ali Keho and Shane Lee, who I think, would, like, despite the limitations for Shane Lee, I feel like those two guys would be starting for a lot of SEC schools and they're third on the depth chart for Alabama with those two respective spots. Uh, and then you got talented true freshmen who, you know, either one of those two guys could have been contributors right out the gate for a lot of schools. They're sitting back there. Uh, one of them's not even being included on the depth chart, and the other listed at number four on the depth chart. So, I mean – the, to me, this was it was crazy to see Jalen Moody listed ahead of Shane Lee. Uh,
1: I agree. That was that caught my eye for sure. I don't know that anything in the outside linebackers caught my eye. Christopher Allen and Ben Davis are co-starters at Sam, uh, with King with King Wakuda behind them, and, and Saban's comments throughout the preseason it made it pretty clear that Will Anderson Jr. and Drew Sanders were going to be early contributors at outside linebacker and they are your numbers one and two at jack respectively will anderson jr first drew sanders second that that more
0: or less was chalk for me well to some degree i i agree with you Uh, i guess i was surprised that both the two players listed as the one and two at the jack position are both true freshmen uh, I thought maybe you would see a Ben Davis at one of those spots as maybe even being the number two guy or being the starter. Will Anderson, uh, the fact that he's listed as a starter pretty much right out of the gate, this idea, you know, I've kind of thought maybe he would be, you know, uh, put in more of a rotational obvious pass rushing situations role early on. The fact that he's been so good that he's listed as the starter ahead of guys like a, a fifth year senior and Ben Davis, uh, and, and some of these other players, that's fantastic news for him. Absolutely fantastic. Alabama's going to have you know anybody that's predicted to be the breakout candidate on defense or the top newcomer on the team. I, I'm feeling a lot more confident in my prediction of him leading the team in sacks now than I did maybe last week, and I felt confidently enough to put him there, but I wouldn't say that I felt absolutely outstanding about it. Chris Briswell Q Robinson, Kevin Harris, Drez Parks, were you surprised that any of those guys or all of them were, were left off the depth chart. Cause there was room to throw a Chris Braswell or a Q Robinson on there. They just weren't. So it's looking like the five guys that are listed are going to be your five main contributors at outside linebacker. Does that surprise you?
1: If, if I was forced to, to do this depth chart beforehand, I think the one thing I would have changed other than well, the what you mentioned about possibly putting Ben Davis at Jack or Christopher Allen at, at Jack is to have both of them listed as starters at opposite positions. But I can go into why that, that makes sense if you want me to. If, if The one thing I probably would have changed is I probably would have projected Jerez Parks ahead of King Wakuda.
0: Right. That's okay. probably the only thing I, I would have changed. Okay, okay. And, you know, what's interesting is for the longest time, Chris Braswell was the highest-rated yes. outside linebacker uh, Come you know as far as this dominant foursome that came in in the 2020 class, and he's not even on the depth chart. And so with the, the development that Will Anderson and Drew Sanders have shown as far as their ability to get on campus and contribute immediately, that bodes extremely well for Alabama's depth, that spot. And I'm feeling a lot better about this unit uh, than I was before uh, that we, you know, we knew they had talent, but they needed a star to step up. I didn't necessarily view Chris Fralin as a star, uh, you know, huge impactful dominant type of player. I didn't view Ben Davis that way. King Wakuda didn't view him that way. So Will Anderson stepping up and becoming that starter at the Jack position in the first game of the season, maybe he can become that absolute terror on on the uh, edge, which will really help with what should be a really good interior pass rush with that depth at, at, along the defensive line.
1: And it does so, seem like the Jack position is going to kind of be used as a specialty pass rush position this year because they feel so good about Dylan Moses. They clearly – are optimistic about Christian Harris and they stacked their two best outside linebackers at Sam so one of them is going to be on the field at, at all points in time so it seems like your Jack is going to be your your specialty pass rush um
0: position this year with Will Anderson Jr and Drew Sanders over there. Um Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Uh what you might see, what you'll probably see as as far as and that's something I didn't even think about. I get too wrapped up in, you know, this guy's listed as the starter. He'll be out there with a the first-team defense, uh, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, a lot of teams nowadays are going to kind of spread you out a little bit. You're going to go nickel, you know, dime-type packages a lot, you know, maybe even from the first snap. You know, but you might have your star out there, and if you do – Then, more than likely, Will Anderson and Drew Sanders will be on the bench, which will keep them more to a rotational role. But you'll have LeBron Ray playing out there on the edge in a four-man front. You'll have, on early downs at least, and you'll have uh, Christopher Allen or or Ben Davis out there as the other edge guy. So that's actually a fantastic point, something I didn't think about.
1: Uh, At corner, Patrick Sertan the second and Josh Job are are your starters. We've been telling you all that for weeks. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis as your number two behind uh behind Patrick Sertan that caught my eye as did the or with Marcus Banks and, and Brandon Turnage behind Josh Job. Now that that very well could be a reflection of the two freshmen Malachi Moore and Brian Branch being both at star. Um, while while I think both of them are going to be that safety star type long term, it's possible that one or both of them could transition to corner later in their in their career and, and, and kind of take that role. Alabama also has a Juco corner coming in and it's 2021 recruiting class and Kyrie Jackson, and very well could add a potential right away contributor in the five-star Ja'Quincy McKinstry as well. So it's not uh, a given that Jalen Armour Davis is the next man up at, at corner or, or the future at, at corner. And, and the same could be said for Marcus Banks and Brandon Turnage. It's not, guaranteed that both of them are the future at at that position but that does that that it did illuminate something that those were the three guys that were listed at corner
0: i completely agree that corner kind of played out how i thought it would obviously ronald williams jr dealing with the the fractured forearm or whatever it is uh you know he wasn't on the depth chart obviously jaquez robinson the true freshman uh he wasn't listed on the depth chart so As far as this group, hopefully they'll have a couple of more players coming back uh, or being able to provide depth in in emergency situations. I don't love this group. I love the combination of Patrick Sertan and Josh Job. I think it's more of an unknown factor with Armour Davis, Banks, and Turnage that's got me a little bit concerned with the depth. I don't think they can afford a lot of injuries, even though those are talented guys. I just don't know a whole lot about them. So hopefully they're able to kind of stay right um, and, and can provide some depth there at safety. Uh, with Daniel Wright starting at free safety, Jordan Battle starting at strong safety, Helms being the backup free, Eddie Smith being the backup strong. I don't know what it is, but I always just I would have had those two positions switched. Uh, I would have had Jordan Battle Eddie Smith as the free safety. Uh, I don't I don't know. Uh, I could be wrong. I always end up getting those two backwards. Just something about strong safety. I think of more of the inbox defender. And I, when I think of you know a guy like Helms, I think more of him as an in-box guy. Daniel Wright can provide some of that. Got a little bit of range, but I more so view him as a a box defender. But either way, uh, they're only listed at two deep there. That also has played out how we thought. They have more depth in the safety position than what shows in the depth chart because both Malachi Moore and Brian Branch – are guys who are really safeties, even though they're going to be playing the star position. And we'll talk about that in a second, but um, you know, they would actually probably be some of the second teamers at at one of the safety spots. Should something happen to Daniel or Jordan battle, unless Helms, you know, would became that guy. Helms might provide some depth, uh, you know, in a rotational role, whether that be at money, whether that be at safety, special teams, Uh, you'll probably see him in some capacity this season, but uh, any thoughts on safety?
1: No, it, that, that made sense to me. That went more or less as expected. And the same with, with Star. Um I, I think in an alternate timeline where one or both of Malachi Moore and Brian Branch go elsewhere, someone like Jalen Armour Davis or Marcus Banks is uh, a leading candidate, or Ronald Williams had he not uh, suffered that broken arm. Um, but with, with those two guys performing as well as they have uh, immediately, in preseason practice, that that makes all the sense in the world. And uh, frankly, I'm I'm willing to bet that um, whichever one is your star, because they're listed as or Malachi Moore or Brian Branch. I'm guessing the other is your money. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and since both are, and, and since dime package is so consistently required to to defend the the spread systems that you see so frequently in, in the SEC, I'd imagine. If Malachi Moore is your star, he's probably not going to get a huge number of snaps more than Brian Branch would. And the same would be true otherwise. If if Brian Branch is your star and Malachi Moore is your money, I'm guessing the snap counts wouldn't be drastically different um, necessarily because the, the dime package is so necessary.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, I completely agree.
1: Anything on special teams? Will Riker's your starting kicker with Joseph Bullevis or Chase Allen? backing them up, uh, Mac Jones or Slade Bolden as holders. The trio of punters battling it out are Sam Johnson, Charlie Scott, and Ty Perrine. Thomas Fletcher is your snapper, of course. Jalen Waddle, your punt returner, with Slade Bolden, Patrick Sertan, or Xavier Williams as your number two. Your kickoff returners are Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, Brian Robinson Jr., and Roy Dell Williams behind them. Anything in the specialists that stuck out
0: to you? Um, you know, Sam Johnson uh, being the, the, the first punter listed, uh, I would have probably thought that Charlie Scott or Typer uh, Piron would have been the number one guy uh, listed, even though it's all or there's still a competition going on. The fact that Sam Johnson is the first guy listed, I think, is pretty telling. Um, and, You know, you got two quarterbacks and Mac Jones or Slade Bolden as your holder. Um, <laughs> notice I, I said two. I uh, might have not caught that, but give it a nod. <laughs> To the old Slade Bolden as far as being able to have an arm good enough to, to sling the ball around a little bit, but the biggest thing that stood out to me, and it, maybe it shouldn't have uh, if you had asked me, I probably would have said that this is the way it'll play out, but Jalen Waddle at both punt returner and kickoff returner, that's a guy that's going to be asked to, to put in some work this season. Uh, yes. And Granted, were you surprised at all that he retained both duties with no. an expanded role coming at wide receiver? No. Okay. I, I'm, no. I'm Clark, the same Clark. way. Stark
1: said in his preseason press conference that Waddle was someone they wanted to manufacture touches for anyway, and, and now they don't have to. They can just let him do his thing within the flow of the offense, and he's going to get more touches than he did last year. So well, but, no, none, yeah. none of that surprised me.
0: And see, that's kind of where I came down to as well because the, I really started looking at it. I'm like, man, well, you, you typically don't want to put that much of a workload, kick returner punt returner um, plus, you know, being the, at the very least the number two option at receiver on one guy, but at the same time, he's way too valuable in all those different spots. You know, you don't want to take a potential game changer uh, out of your punt returning role or your kickoff returning role because, you know, we saw how much of an impact even against guys, uh, teams like LSU, you know, that, that really started to shift momentum back in Alabama's favor in that game and started getting them back on the right track to make that a game by the end. Uh, you you can't take that off the field. Uh, just because you're you're asking him to do more offensively, and you're you got guys who can step up and and play some reps as far as receiver, but he's still going to be a top two guy there. So while I typically wouldn't be a fan uh, of that much, Jalen Waddle is one of the rare instances where you kind of have to.
1: My my last thought on the depth chart, and I I realize we had a lot of fun with Tua as a holder last year, and, and kind of keeping the. The flow going of your starting quarterback also being your holder would would be fun if Mac Jones were your holder. I'm really hoping for Slade Bolden to be a holder because I have this dream in my head of, say, a fourth and two on the maybe 30. So it's a 47-yard field goal. It's in that no-man's land where you could probably justify doing either, going for it or – um, setting up to, to kick. And I have this dream scenario, and I have no idea if this is legal. Uh, absolutely none. I have this dream scenario of, of Slade Bolden like, getting down on one knee, setting up to hold. Will Reichert takes the three steps back, gets ready to, to kick. And right before the ball is snapped, Slade stands up into a traditional quarterback posture. And then it's basically a four tight end formation. With Slade Bolden as your quarterback, so he could like do a play action to Will Reichard somehow and, and throw to one of the four okay. eligible receivers in front of him. You could do any number of run schemes with it, with that amount of beef on the field. I don't know. That's just that, that's
0: my, my pipe dream. I, hey, I, all I'm saying is, if, if you have a guy like Slade Bolden back there as your holder, He's good, he's good enough as a thrower if things go wrong where you can trust him to do that. Uh, yeah. that. That very rarely happens, but he's capable. Plus, he's got the running ability as well, being a receiver. Um, so, <clears throat> I think it would be a great option uh, as far as being a holder. And I think that would be a lot of fun to see how creative they could get with it. So, all right, that's going to do it for the depth chart episode. Taking a look at, man, just a, a wild depth chart, a lot to look at. We spent an hour talking about it. Uh, but this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to be doing a Missouri-Alabama breakdown. We're also going to be doing a Pick'Em podcast. I know you're not going to be actually on that podcast, but we're going to get you picking some games too this year, Brett. Uh, see how you stack up against Hunter. People myself.
1: are going to find out I can't pick games against the spread. Hey. Uh, I'm going to get exposed.
0: <laughs> it, c- it cannot be any worse than, than Hunter and I last year. You know, Cecil well, well, we was – uh, man, I would have to go back and look, but I, I want to say, well, the rough percentage, uh, I, man, it was, man, it, we might've been at the, the, the 500 range. I think that we're just a tick below that. Oh um, man, that, that'd be big for me. I'm going to be honest. That'd be big for me. <laughs> well, Cecil, it makes everybody look bad because he's able to pick a lot of these games and it seems like he's not even trying. And yet every week it was like, Cecil went six and two again this week. Um, <laughs> and every week he's, he's saying, well, don't. Don't listen to my picks. Don't bet the milk money or anything on this and, and throwing out, uh, you know, traditional quotes and then going eight, you know, six and two or eight and two or something like that. It was, it was a humbling experience. That's kind of why I want to have you on there. Hopefully you're down there in the hunter and in, in my range to make us, you know, okay, Cecil's just special. You know that we're, it won't, we won't look as bad. I guess is the the hope. Watch you come in here and pick like eighty percent too, and then me and Hunter are like, well, I guess we're no longer gonna be a part of the Pickem podcast. But yeah. that should be fun. So we'll have three this week. We got a lot of content coming y'all's way. Always appreciate you hopping on here with me, Brett. Uh, I'll talk to you, I guess, tomorrow and break down a little Alabama-Missouri. So looking forward to that. Once again, this is the Bama Beat podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles.